the last time and getting the ground on the run. I don't expect the soil to take care of itself. And I don't expect, uh, you know, all kinds of things to just happen so that I can have seed. But I also don't trust in these hands to bring forth fruitfulness, do I? No, because I know that I can do the best. In fact, from year to year, one year I can do better than I did last year as a gardener and have less produce than I had the year before. Other times I do very little. This year we let our cilantro grow up and it went to seed. And then we had a freeze and everything died. And we just let it sit there out of basically either sloth or we're too busy to handle it. And then what happened? Well, we had a warm time between December and the first part of January. Those seeds fell to the ground, and we had cilantro in our garden, and we didn't do anything. Nothing at all. The Lord caused cilantro to grow, and we've been enjoying that. Beloved, your growth is not in that sense, in your hand, in that way. But you cannot expect growth without the labor that the farmer or the gardener puts into the garden. Right? We don't, we don't trust in means. We don't rest in means. But we certainly don't expect the Lord to bless apart from means. Thankfully, sometimes he does. Thankfully, we get cilantro when we didn't do anything. Sometimes we get growth in grace and in other things when we didn't really do much. The Lord for his purposes works in ways that he's not, he's not required to reveal to us in that way. Those are some of his secret things that he does. Yet we are not to presume upon his secrets, are we? What, what is it that Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 20, 29, uh, 29, 29 and 30? Let's not truncate the quotation. Let's pull it all the way out. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but that which is revealed belongs to us and to our children. Here's the part we normally forget. That we may do all the words of this law. That we may be involved in all of the means of God's appointment. Let us also refresh ourselves in understanding that growth is is a kindness from God. Isn't it? It's a kindness from God. And we'll, we'll, we'll sort of piggyback off of what we said from Jeremiah chapter 29 a moment ago. Um, Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end or an end of hope and expectation. What is your hope and expectation, beloved, but that God will not just leave you in this life to languish and then, you know, pie in the sky someday but that the Lord has promised not only the pie in the sky, not only uh, an eternal life with, in glory with Him, but that there is a connection, we heard, between our inheritance and the first fruits of that inheritance. That there is actual progress now and growth in our inheritance. Remember 1 John chapter 3 as the definitive passage on that. Let me remind you. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Wherefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear 
what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall, like, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he, Jesus, is pure. So there is a connection, as we said, between the inheritance and the first fruit of that inheritance. There's something common to both of them. Remember we talked about that? We talked about the wedding ring as an arabon, as a first fruit, right? Girls, if a, if a young man comes to you and he gives you a piece of copper wire sort of, sort of you know, made into a little ring and says, here's my engagement ring, what do you say? If you can't afford a carriage, you can't afford a marriage, right? You want to remember that, that the first fruit is connected to the fullness. We're not, we're not impoverished, beloved, in the first fruit. The Lord has provided that one day he's going to take us to glory. And in these days, he's going to advance us to glory. This is a wonderful thing, or toward glory. Maybe I should say it like that. He's advancing us toward glory in these days. We can expect actual real growth, real progress in this life from the Lord's kindness. I mean, if we got up in the morning and we recognized, as Hebrews chapter 12, 1 says, that we have, say, a besetting sin and that we never had any guarantee, never had any hope, never had a word from God that that was ever going to get better, what would that do? That's not the hope and expectation, the peace that God has in mind for you. What does Hebrews 12.1 say? Wherefore, laying aside every weight and the sin with dust so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of God. For consider him who hath endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye become weary and faint in your soul. Jesus endured and advanced. Jesus, the Son of God, it says in Hebrews chapter 5, learned obedience through the things which he suffered. If our Lord Jesus Christ as God and man, as our mediator, could advance, so will we. This is the Lord's promise to you, beloved. We're not left to languish under the power of sin. We're not left to languish under the temptation of the tempter. We're not left to be tempted to think mankind shall live by bread alone. No. But by every word that proceedeth out of, out of the mouth of God shall man live and grow and flourish. Have you tasted, beloved, that the Lord is gracious? A part of the tasting that he is gracious is that you, like newborn babes, desire that sincere milk of the word, that you learn to, to slurp it in, and by that word you grow. So I've identified eight principles of growth, eight particular explicit statements that the Bible says Christians should grow in. Really? Eight? Yes, there are eight. There may be more. I just haven't found them yet. <laughs> but I'm still looking. You know why? Because I want to know every particular place that the Lord has said that we should grow. 
So let's, uh, let's use another illustration. I know some of you enjoy having a glass of wine from time to time. Well, there is a sommelier, right, that's a professional wine taster. That's one who's responsible to get the right wine for the best price for the restaurant that he serves. What does he need in order to do that? He has to advance his palate, doesn't he? And there's, you would be surprised perhaps, or maybe you wouldn't, as to how much work that truly is and the depth of the courses that he must go through in order to do that and to be certified as a sommelier by the institutions that hold that certification. So he must advance his palate. He must become sensitive to the greater depth and the craft and the beauty, even perhaps in the same wine over time. He can taste the same wine and then a year later taste it, and it tastes completely different to him. He's advanced in his ability to ferret out greater tastings and so on, greater depth, if you will, right? Okay. This is not something where either you have it or you don't, beloved. More than mere sensitivity, the Lord holds out that we will not only in the same circumstance be able to wring out greater spirituality, but that we will also uh, grow in the increase of graces that we should look to the Lord according to his promise. Beloved, this is something to pray for. That as the sommelier studies to advance his craft so that out of even the same wine he can draw greater knowledge and tastefulness so even out of the same providences we might be able to draw greater depth from the wells of salvation. Right? We want to be able in every circumstance to be able to wring out those tastings of growth Have you ever thought about it that way? I think very often, like we said earlier today when we were thinking of Psalm 30, that we tend to think statically about ourselves. And we're tempted to do that by the world around us. The world around us is always trying to put you into a category. You know, we even have personality tests to do that. We've talked about that before. Well, I am this. Well, I know you were that maybe one day when you were tested for it, if that test is accurate, which is highly doubtful, but giving the benefit of the doubt. But do you remain that? Is that your great goal in life, not to slip? Right? I, I, uh, I've known a few men over my life who were professional athletes. And one of the things that really surprised me was it wasn't just their raw talent that they came with. They came with their raw talent, obviously, but then they had coaches. Why do guys that are, you know, have this great prowess in whatever sport it is, why do they need coaches? So they can advance, so they can get better, so they can take that raw talent that is perhaps exquisite and unique to them and make it even better. Everything, beloved, in this life, even in mere temporal things, we learn to grow and expand, don't we? But the Bible also holds out to us. The Lord holds out to us that we can grow and advance spiritually as the most valuable growth that any human being can undertake. What did Peter say here? That ye may grow thereby. 
But it's only if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We ought not to expect those that have tasted and said the Lord is a hard master that they would grow at all. Right? In that parable that we looked at, there was one given five talents, one given two talents, one given one talent. What did the man with five talents do? He traded and he got five more talents. And he presented ten talents to his Lord when he returned. What did he do? He grew. The second man had two talents. What did he give to the Lord when he returned after trading? Two more talents. Four talents total. What about the man that said, oh, you're a hard master. I didn't venture anything. What did he have to give back? Nothing. Just the one. Just the one. No growth at all. So from thinking these great thoughts of God, these high thoughts of God, this relates then to this growth in grace, that in thinking high thoughts of God, and if you will, can I put it in the, in the context of that parable, uh, venturing spiritually out, right? Causing our souls to go and to take on greater things because we have confidence in the Lord that He will advance our estate. That at the end of our days, we will have more to give than when we started with Him. And it will simply be His work that is given back to Him. He caused us to grow, just like the seed in the garden. But we planted, we watered, But like Paul says, it's God that gives the increase, beloved. So, I want to, in this general introduction to Christian growth, then excite you toward that. This is an exciting thing, isn't it? That God has said, I'm going to take corrupted sinners and I'm going to draw them to myself. And little by little in this life, as a part of their inheritance to come, I'm going to chip away at their corruptions. And I'm going to give them advancement in at least eight topics here. Such that we're not left to say, oh, well, I'm just this. Oh, I'm not smart enough. Uh, I'm not spiritual enough. I I can't pray like that. I don't have the, the heart of a David. But you can. How does James put it in James chapter 5? It's a wonderful statement. Ought to be encouraging to each of us. Look at James chapter 5 with me for a moment. In verse 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of Three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? Put in the context of growth. We'll remember that there was a time in Elijah's life when he wasn't ready to pray at all. He had taken himself up into the mountain of God, holed up in a cave, and was ready to see the end of the world. I only am left. I'm the only one here that believes in you, Lord. That's it. Right? He was a man of like passions as we are. He was a man that was subject to the weakness of humanity. And yet what did he do? Did he remain in that weakness? No. James is saying here he had power with God. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again. 
and the earth brought forth rain like no one had seen. Right? Beloved, are we going to rest in the cave on the mountain and say, I'll be here when you come for me, Lord? (laughs) Or are we going to do what God commanded Elijah to do? You get down there, the mountain. I have 7,000 men that have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. I am not done with you. You go out and you grow and you expand and you work in my kingdom and let me surprise you with the growth. Right? This is not a motivational sermon. But I do want to motivate you to understand that by God's grace, in an ordinary use of means, He is pleased not to leave His people in weakness and corruption, but to advance us. So let's take a look at some of those advancements then. I don't know how far we'll get today, but we'll get what we get. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we see two of them. We'll take them one at a time. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, To him be glory both now and ever. Amen. Okay. Grow in grace is the first instance. This is a more general category, we we will admit, right? We're going to look at knowledge, which is a more specific category, as Peter mentions it here. But there are other more specific categories also. But grow in grace is really grow in graces. Right? To grow in the graces of God is to grow in grace. Now what is grace? Let's remember what grace is. It is unmerited favor. And so the command to grow in grace is tantamount to the command to the the farmer to grow your seed. What does it mean? It means to be about those things that make for growth, recognizing it's the Lord that gives the increase. Isn't that true? We can't cause ourselves to grow in grace. Otherwise, it wouldn't be growing in grace. It would be growing in merit. It would be growing in self-righteousness. It would be growing in things that we do. But the Lord is pleased to cause us to grow in grace. We grow in grace then, as we heard in our quotation from Mr. Sibbs today, when our natural selves are diminished and our grace is grown instead. Our natural selves are diminished. Where we put, where we would pit nature against grace in that way. Well, that's an old adage in theology. You'll, you'll, you'll read about that. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 for a moment. Let's take a look at that. We're going to continue in the metaphor of planting, sowing, and reaping. Verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 
As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are, uh, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Verses 7 through 10 of Galatians chapter 6. What does the Apostle Paul tell us? Well, we can't make ourselves grow. But we can sow in particular ways. You see what Paul says there? If you sow to the flesh, there is a reaping for that. A reaping that we might expect. Unless the Lord extraordinarily intervenes, thankfully sometimes he does that. But unless he extraordinarily intervenes, we will of the flesh reap corruption. Corruption. What is sowing to the flesh then? This is what I said a moment ago. Sowing to the flesh is not diminishing, but advancing your natural selves. Right? All that you want as a human being, apart from God. You want fame. You want recognition. You want glory. You want um, comfortable shoes, a warm place to sleep. You want a house on a hill. You want a fancy car. You want whatever the material or temporal thing is that all men come into this world wanting, especially if it belongs to somebody else. You advance your natural self. You want your own, quote, liberty, which is not liberty at all, right? It's, 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 your, it's your, your sinfulness. You want, well, I want to be able to get mad and to fire off on somebody, right? To give them a piece of my mind or whatever it is, beloved. There are many things that uh, pertain to our natural selves, right? When Paul will give those lists of things, like in Galatians 5.17, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are thus, anger, wrath, malice, and so on. Those kinds of things. The actualization of self. Beloved, this has been made a cottage industry in our society. Self-actualization. Grabbing for all the gusto you can get, to put it in an older phraseology. But it's all saying the same thing. It's recognizing what you want as a person, independently of God. <clears throat> the Apostle James, we read earlier in chapter 4, one chapter earlier, he'll say even to those who are professing Christians that there are times when you pray and you don't receive because you ask amiss to spend on your own lusts. And then he'll call them adulterers and adulteresses because they're friends with the world and the enemies of God. That, th those words were spoken to those in the church. Let me ask you this. Can they expect any spiritual growth? Can someone who is in that mindset, that frame of mind, can they expect any spiritual growth at all? No, because what they're doing is they're sowing to the flesh so they can expect their growth to be in the flesh and their reaping to be in the flesh. And that is a corrupted reaping. It will lead you farther and farther down the road of selfishness farther and farther down the road of self-actualization, farther and farther down the road of greed and avarice and vice and anger and all of those things. There's a growth and a reaping associated with that. But it's a growth and reaping that leads to death, not life. But notice what else Paul holds out here. What does he say? He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And then he'll give a couple of examples. 
And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So there's an example there. And the example is the part for the whole in this passage. So what will Paul say here? He will say, if we sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit we can expect a reaping well as well. We can expect a planting. We can expect uh, a sprouting. We can expect a growth. And we can expect that to go all the way to a reaping. All the way to fruitfulness. However, what does it take? What does he say? Sometimes it takes patience. We have to be unwearied in well-doing. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. What is one of the things required here for growth in grace? Perseverance. Perseverance in that which is good. Perseverance in that which is holy. Perseverance in that which is spiritual. Perseverance in that which is carnal means a reaping of carnality. Perseverance in that which is spiritual means a reaping of spirituality or growth in grace. Notice what else Paul says here. Here's an example. Not only is it uh, sowing, not only is it persevering, but as we therefore have opportunity, it is doing good to all, especially them who are of the household of faith. And so we must have a, a discerning heart. We must have that proper understanding of who is in the household of faith and who is not. And who we are most inclined to do good unto and to persevere in that doing good. And to watch for that reaping as it comes. But that is not that people outside the household of faith are excluded from our goodness. But that there's a priority there. And the doing good there, what what does that mean except... Loving your neighbor as yourself. Pursuing in the commandments of God. Laying down your your will for the will. The revealed will of God. And so setting yourself in order to obedience. And setting yourself in order to that. Asking the Lord for increase and perseverance. And fruitfulness. That you may grow. So that in the exercise of those deeds. And, and goodnesses toward one another. That we may be grown up in that. <coughs> it is a wonder, is it not? That many of us, we know ourselves so little. Uh, we seek to know ourselves so little. That we rarely question in this line of pursuit or that line of pursuit. If we are pursuing the interests of the Lord. We very often absent-mindedly crash from day to day through one thing and another. And may I say, sadly, unthinkingly, without examination of what we're doing, without seeing whether or not we're sowing to the flesh or spirit, whether or not we are persevering in that sowing, and whether or not we're doing good to the household of faith. Mostly, The natural man is concerned with how he might do good to himself. As a matter of fact, Psalm 49 tells us that men will praise you when you do good for yourself. You'll receive all the encouragement you need from the world in that course. If you want to take that course. But he that sows to the Spirit 
shall reap life and peace. This is a man who examines his actions. And beloved, this can be done even in innocent things that are undertaken for ourselves or for our own pleasure. We'll remember, won't we, the words of the, of the heavenly host to the Lord God in Revelation chapter 4. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise. Why? What does it say? Because thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Beloved, we were not created for our own pleasure. We are created for the pleasure of another. The natural man believes that he was created for his own pleasure. Right? So it is a wonder then that we don't stop more often during the days that we live and ask ourselves, am I pursuing my own interests or the interests of the Lord? Sometimes we are simply driven from pleasure to pleasure, task to task, labor to labor, day to day. And we rarely stop to see and to examine whether or not in our labors and in our pursuits and in our pleasures we are seeking first the kingdom of God. We're sowing, as it were, to the Spirit. We cannot expect the growth if we're sowing to the flesh. And so in this examination then, beloved, I want to hold out for you the opportunity that there is great opportunity to see whether or not we undertake with grace the things that we do and that we have expectation from God that we will grow in them when we do. Is there something that you can think of that you have done recently that was indeed truly sacrificial? Well, that is sowing to the Spirit, beloved. Truly, for Christ's sake, for His Spirit's sake, sacrificial. That is sowing to the Spirit. And you might, if you're not wearied in well-doing, and and if you faint not, you have an expectation of growth. That that thing that may have been something of a drudgery for you will become pleasant to you. Maybe you'll grow in your affection. That is growing in grace, isn't it? So there is such a thing. The Lord holds out to us growth in grace. And by growth in grace, we mean growth in graces. All of the fruit of the Spirit. All of those things. Love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, thankfulness, and so on. All of that. We might grow in them as we do good to those of the household of faith and all others, rather than putting ourselves at the center. The second thing that Peter mentions is growth in knowledge. We'll be brief here. I have a particular piece of instruction for you that I found instructive for me the other day when I was reading in the Scripture. I want to talk with you about growth in knowledge. Um, He will say, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We want to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul in, Col- in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 will talk about growing in the knowledge of God. That he prays for the Colossian church that they would grow in the knowledge of God. And beloved, I, I want you to do the same. This is why we're so detailed here in, these, in sermons like this. This is why we talk about theology all of the time. Because we want to grow in knowledge. Not just grow in grace generally, but more specifically we want to grow in knowledge. Because growth in the knowledge of God, when rightly undertaken, will indeed uh, bring great benefit, great fruit. 
it will indeed bear fruit. It'll be that seed that grows up to fruitfulness in our lives. So growth in knowledge is spoken of by Peter and Paul both. And when we, um, when we think of growing in knowledge, we want to think of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. What is a disciple? It's the word mathetizo, right? Or mathetebo, excuse me. And what does it mean? It means to become a learner, to become a follower of Christ. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's the Greek word mathetebo. It's where we get mathematics from. Figure me out, Jesus says, right? Work your ciphers with regard to me and who I am. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But if any man glories, let him glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, saith the Lord. That's how the prophet Jeremiah puts it. This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John seventeen three. Beloved, we must not be ignorant, and we must, we must not rest in ignorance with regard to our God, with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask sincerely, when was the last time you opened a book on Christ to learn from a trustworthy source more of Him? These godly works abound. I, as I was typing these notes out, I was thinking, there's a book called The Grace of Christ by William Plummer. Talks about his grace, right? The loveliness of Christ, right? By Flavel. There are many works available to any who would take up on and, and read. Owen has written on Christ. There are books upon books with regard to learning of Christ. Have you tasted that he is gracious and you want to go on and get a full draft and grow? Thereby in knowledge, beloved? Well, I hope so. And I hope I'm, I'm, uh, I am uh, speaking you know, to the choir here. These are things that, yes, pastor, we are doing this. Yes, we desire to know Christ. Yes, we desire to know him and to love him. In, even in your own private Bible reading, beloved. The other day I was in John chapter 4 in my own private Bible reading. Turn with me there for a moment. And we'll close with this. I, I you know, we... As I said, we could turn each one of these aspects of growth into a sermon itself. What I want to do is move through them somewhat quickly, and yet so that we can linger and profit from them, maybe even get a little growth out of them. So here we are in John chapter 4. I I don't want to read much in the chapter, but let's look at John 4 verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour would be noontime of the day, about the middle of the day. Pastor, what did you, uh, what, what did you glean from that? Wonderful, wonderful thing. As you, as, you, as you open it with chapter 4, verse 6 there, and you go on to the rest of the chapter, you see that Christ lovingly condescended to be the savior of his people the first thing that we see here is the one who created the universe sitting on a well tired in the middle of the day he was tired he was wearied christ wearied and then what did he do 
Well, he spoke to a woman. That was unheard of in those days. He spoke to a Samaritan woman, double unheard of in those days. The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, John will tell us. He told her that he could give her water that she'd never have to plumb for again in a well. He told her all of her sins. And he told her that she too could become a worshiper of the true God. And that to this point in her career, she didn't know who God was. You Samaritans, you worship, you know not what. Jesus condescended to this woman in such a way that we all might identify with. Here he comes down and takes on human flesh and a reasonable soul and is wearied just like any other man. And he speaks to the most unlikely candidate in an even deeper condescension than that. And he speaks to her about her sin and corruption and tells her of the remedy to that sin and corruption himself and does not stop until he has revealed to her her entire ignorance of who God is. He wasn't bound to do that. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do any of that. In your own Bible reading, beloved, when you're reading along and you read about Christ, you come across a verse like John 4, 6. Stop and ponder and get to know your Jesus. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tease out those connections that are just lying on the surface of a passage like this. And understand that if Christ condescended to a woman at a well that he will condescend to us. And in condescending to us, he'll do what he did for her and more. He will flay open our hearts and show us our sins as well. And he'll do that not to say, aha, not to say, gotcha, but to say, you need growth in grace here and in the knowledge of me. Here's the way to grow. Here's the way to advance. Here's the way to take in more of me. Oh, beloved, don't stop with a taste. This woman, after her encounter with Christ here, she was not willing to stop with a taste. Rather, she stirred up the taste of all the other Samaritans, and they all came out. In fact, that I think... uh, Leon Morris is right that the Samaritans often wore in the heat of the day white garments because they reflected the the sun. And so in that that difficult climate, when it was hot in the heat of the day, they wore white. And so Jesus speaking to his disciples will look up on the prow of the hill and here they come. Look at the fields. They are white for the harvest, Jesus will say. That is, look at all these Samaritans who are now coming because of the testimony of this one woman that they heard. Be not unbelieving. Oh, pray then that the Lord would send laborers into his field. What do we learn of Christ here? 
How do we grow in our knowledge of Christ from coming to John chapter 4 and hearing of his encounter? And this is one of how many passages of Scripture where we might read and meditate and soak in the knowledge of Christ. Now, that knowledge may be in our minds and out in a moment. That's up to the Lord. He's the one that's going to make it grow. We plant the seed. He causes it to grow. But beloved, reading, stopping, can you plow and plant with me? Can you plow and plant with me and look to the Lord to give that increase of the knowledge of himself? He has promised it. In fact, he has commanded it. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And Paul prayed for it. Right? We'll close with Colossians 1.10. What did Paul say there to the Colossian church? Verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The Apostle Paul prayed for that. You know what praying for the increase of the knowledge of God is? It's sowing the seeds, isn't it? It's part of the means. It's sowing the seeds of advancement. Now we can do what William Gurnall said, right? If the boat is taking on water, we can pray and sink, or we can pray and pump. We can put feet to those prayers. We can pray for one another, like the Apostle Paul did. We can pray for ourselves, that we might increase, that we might grow in grace, and increase in the knowledge of God. And then we can put feet to those prayers, can't we? We can do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. We can persevere and not be weary in well-doing. We can ask others to pray for us in that. We can sense that when we are weary in well-doing, that we would ask the Lord for, what? The strength that he gives to the weary, Isaiah 40, 31. We can pray for one another and for ourselves that we would increase in the knowledge of God. Now we can pray and sink or we can pray and pump, beloved. If we pray and pump, then we're going to pick up and read. And we're going to stop and ponder when we hear about Jesus and his condescension or other such doctrines of him. Remember that we'll be searching those depths for all eternity. So let's get started now. And the Lord has promised increase. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the promise of growth. That Thou hast not left us in the estate wherein Thou hast called us out of sin, but that Thou hast promised growth in so many ways. We thank Thee for Thy faithfulness. That even in the temporal illustrations that we've received regarding our gardening and whatever else it is that we plant and harvest, Lord, that thou hast been pleased to give us those wondrous illustrations that we might also plant and sow to the Spirit. That we would be spiritually active in our planting and sowing. And that thou wouldst be pleased to grow us up 
Oh Lord, we pray that we would not be weary in that planting and sowing. That thou wouldst be pleased to grant us perseverance in it. That in due time we shall reap. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask also with regard to knowledge. And we confess that we come into this world with only a modicum of knowledge of who thou art. And that thou hast in thy word revealed and opened up through Jesus Christ such depths as we are unable to fathom. But we pray that that would be no bar and no barrier to us desiring to advance truly in that knowledge of who thou art. That it may indeed affect who we are. That as we learn of the condescension of Christ, for example, that we might know his condescension to ourselves and that we might be kind and and open one to another. Oh Lord, so many things to learn and to grow. So we pray that we would not be weary, but that we would advance under thy, under thy command, under thy spirit, under, under thy grace, and with indeed thy help. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.